curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. When we get back to the business of doing business, it will be imperative to get off to a fast start, which may include doing some in-person exhibiting at an event. This exercise is often expensive, time-consuming, and doesn't often generate the results the exhibitor is hoping for in return for the significant financial investment. Knowing that, I invited Jason Lukash from Orage Audio in for a discussion about the ways that they approach lead generation at events and the ways they consistently push boundaries to stand out against their competition. The whole team at Orage Audio believes in their brand and their positioning is spot on, so I thought it would make for an interesting listen as we all consider how lead generation and even events in general might change in the post-COVID-19 world. I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen. You know, you and I both know that the secret that our industry has that most of our listeners won't understand until we make this plain to them is ours is actually the traveling trade show industry. And we, by virtue of the fact that we both as suppliers and distributors are participating in trade shows almost on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, We've got both from the supplier side, you know, we, we see people who do it well. We see people who don't do it so well. We see people make incredible investments financially in, in their booths and their strategies. And then we see people, you know, just take more of a pedestrian approach. But as somebody who's attended these trade shows on a regular basis for going on 15 years now, you just by virtue of your participation get to the point where you sort of recognize the differences in the ways that people are approaching what they do when they are going to participate in a trade show. And I thought to myself, gosh, since we are kind of the traveling trade show industry, perhaps it would be wise for us to start sharing some of what we know that is the best practices about how to actually run a trade show booth. And I couldn't think of one person that I could have thought of first to have this discussion with, with was you. So thanks for coming in and being willing to share a little bit of your uh, insider knowledge on the way you guys get that done over there. No problem. Thanks for having me. Cool, man. So the way I kind of want to break this down, I think that would make the most sense is to kind of like, when you think about a, a trade show, you know, for a lot of small business people that in many instances is the single largest financial investment that they might make in marketing in the course of a year. No. So right. Um, knowing that, you know, to me, it's really, really vitally important that people who are making that investment have the best possible opportunity to get a, a really good return on investment. So from my perspective, the way I kind of think about when I'm approaching a trade show is really a three-pronged approach. And it has to do with 
Um, there's, there's a set of activities that you should do prior to the event. There's a second set of activities that I believe should be performed during the event. And then lastly, and you know, most obviously, then once the show is over, what are you going to do with what happened? Is that generally speaking the way that you guys like to try to break that down too? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much what we do. There's a lot more on the planning part than in show because at least for what I do now, the in show is a little bit of a different experience and post show is obviously a little different in our industry, but I think you've got it right. Those are kind of like the three sectors to think about when you're planning a show. Okay. All right. So let's break it down then. Let's kind of, we'll, 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 we'll spend a little bit of time in each of these three sections and if people show uh, any additional interest in maybe breaking each of these down somewhat further, perhaps I can have you back in the future and we can kind of talk about each of these. Sure. But so to, since you, you mentioned it, I mean, pre-show is really, and you know, if you think about it, Jason, the funny part about it is promotional products in many ways is the oh shit marketing medium, right? And so right. they'll call us in a panic because they're about to go to a trade show and they didn't plan in advance for what promo it is that they're going to give away at the show. So talk to us about why that's such a bad idea and how much you guys put into pre-show planning. What Break down a little bit about what that looks like uh, over there with you guys. So I've done shows for 15 years and I mean, big productions like South by Southwest, Coachella and my old job. And then now here at HPG, you know, we're obviously one of the top 10 suppliers in the promo industry. We have a plethora of shows we do throughout the year, PPE, AI and Las Vegas being the biggest. And, you know, we have a booth footprint that's like 50 by 70 and, that's the size of most houses or bigger than most houses in America. So there's a lot of work that goes into planning behind the scenes. Uh, for us, pre-show planning for at least building our booth is almost like a six to nine month process out from when the actual show starts for at least, you know, the biggest show of the year. So that's, you know, figuring out what's the actual structure going to look like, what our graphics going to look like. Then all the moving pieces and parts involved, anything down from like who's going to do like you know, a water bottle run at Costco the night before to right. how are we going to lo load in and uh, bring in our outbound freight, right? So for us, you know, we try to plan as far enough in advance. The people that I think are reflecting a booth, the ones that do it the night before or the, oh shit, I forgot to order stuff in my booth. It reflects very poorly usually in booths. Granted, you know, I've done some booths too where we put it all together like three weeks before, but it's reflected. So my advice is obviously like plan far enough in advance so you're not caught with your pants down in a shitty booth when uh, someone gets there to experience right. it in person. Right, right, right. Because, you know, if you think about it from the perspective of the person walking the show, there's really no more uh, succinct moment in the buying cycle. I mean, if you show up to a trade show, you are in some way, shape, or form interested in buying. You don't just show up to browse, generally speaking. Right. So if I, on the other side of the transaction as the exhibitor, don't recognize the fact that I am standing in what is essentially a room full of hot leads, I'm really not being serious about the investment that I'm making in attendance. No, I was going to say, first impressions are everything. If you've yeah, it could be hot leads, but it could also be the lead's first impression of your brand or your company. And 
you look like a piece of shit, no one's going to want to work with you. You know, <laughs> right, 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 right. Absolutely. I mean, if if you don't think it looks thrown together, then you're mistaken. Because if it looks, if it's thrown together, it looks thrown together. No doubt about it. I was, I was going to say, sorry for these brands too. This is the only time that a lot of these companies are getting in front of their actual customers, right? If it's a virtual business, if it's a site, if it whatever it is. You don't have reps in the field engaging with customers. Like this is the one touch point you could have with your customer throughout the year. So don't look like an idiot. Don't plan the night before. You know, not everyone uh, that's going to listen is going to have the opportunity to build a booth that would be larger than most people's home. Right. And certainly right. uh, in your evolution of what you've built within the promotional products industry, you know, you didn't start building them this big when you started. I've, I've watched, no. you know, uh, even tabletop shows and stuff. So uh, t- talk to us a little bit about from, uh, for those that might be somewhat uh, constrained from a resources perspective and are going to have to try to do it more from a, I got a 10 foot booth and I'm going to have to yeah. right next to everybody else in their 10, bo- 10 foot booths. What are some of the, the, the standout strategies that Jason's picked up along the years during that evolution? From yeah. Big. Yeah, when we first started, we obviously had a 10 by 10. And what Mike and I did in the early days of Borregadio before we were acquired you know, by HPG in 2018, we always did it as cheap as possible, right? It was our cash. It was our business. We didn't want to spend a lot of money. And I remember like our first booth at CES in like 2009, we built it like a little living room. We had like a futon. We had a TV. We had like a bookshelf, fishbowl, coffee table. And the best thing we did was what most people should do ordered it all from like QVC Walmart shipped it to the trade show, used it, returned it right when we were done with the show. <laughs> so we didn't have to rent. We didn't have to rent furniture. And we actually did this for like almost like seven years. Like we would buy TVs, we would buy couches from like QVC or Walmart or whatever, use it in our booth and then ship it on back um, when we were done with it. So we didn't have to rent stuff from Freeman. We didn't have to, you know, like pay like crazy, like drage and shipping everything in. We'd hand carry stuff in. We'd send all like a FedEx, like HAL, like hold it at a location, pick it up in a rental car, carry it all in, set it up, and then like ship it right back out for free of charge with prepaid return address labels back to the people we ordered it from. So that's a pretty good hack um, that a lot of people don't really think of or know about. Um, especially QVC is probably the best company to buy something from you can and i have also been on the other side i was a qvc pitchman for like three years and <laughs> you know we sold we sold a lot on qvc so we would get the other end we would have people return stuff they've got the most lax return policy ever you can use something enjoy it for like six months and then like decide you don't like it anymore and send it back no questions asked so Aww. it's a great resource to uh, get stuff for your booth cheap and almost free you know Totally. And that, you know, that, that oftentimes one of the hidden surprises that a new attendee to a rather large and established trade show won't realize is things like the transportation and storage costs that come along with say shipping your stuff to McCormick place in Chicago and just the enormous multiplier that that adds to your cost oftentimes can be a, a real eye opener for people if they haven't had the opportunity to think about that in advance. And it's funny, Jason, because I'm thinking as I'm listening through you, you know, talk about the ways you hacked your way to success in the early days of the shows. I also know that in order to be able to do that, you have to be even that much more um, detailed oriented and planning yeah. 
focused because if you're going to do all that work, you know, or have stuff shipped in and be picking things up manually. I mean, you got to give yourself ample time. You got to have, you know, yep. all, all of uh, the people kind of knowing what it is their responsibilities are going to be because it really is from the time you get to the destination to the time the show opens, it oftentimes is just such a blur, right? Yeah. And we, you know, even now too, we bring a big team from our internal staff because well, in the planning process, we make sure each person's got a direct responsibility. So like, you know, Danielle's in charge of making sure like all the catalogs get there, what are the catalogs going to set up or in the booths, you know, what printed collateral we're doing. Jeff's in charge of like, graphics so his whole job's like design the graphics get the graphics done so it's almost each person like working individual silos and then they all come together to get the mission accomplished but we try to bring our internal staff and delegate tasks to our teams to make sure that everyone's held accountable for their specific areas so if there's no hanging graphics like it's jeff's fault right Right. jeff was responsible for that one thing instead of having multiple people work on multiple aspects of the show at once we try to assign to each like individual person what their direct responsibility is and for smaller booths too mike and i used to do the same thing right i was in charge of like the booth look and feel mike was in charge of the logistics right my goal was to get everything to vegas or whatever and his goal was to get it into vegas and set up right so this way we're not all chasing the same goal or we're chasing the same goal at the end of the day but we're not working and crossing over into each other's lanes to get it done you know somebody dreams up what it's supposed to look like another person dreams up making sure it gets there the way it's supposed to. Everyone is like a finely tuned NASCAR pit crew when they show up for setup because everybody knows exactly what it is they're supposed to be doing. And so everyone feels good. We go off to the bar. We have our drinks for night one, (laughs) high five and ready for tomorrow morning. So talk a little bit about day of, um, I've watched, you know what I've always been most, uh, interested in by the way that you guys have approached your day of uh, uh, the day of is, you know, I've seen you as a supplier. So I have the opportunity sometimes to be on the show floor before it opens and you guys do yeah. the best flavor, flav kind of hype, get everybody ready. Like I've ever seen it's, it's fantastic. And you don't yeah. see that often in a lot of uh, uh, other people. And when they're getting themselves ready, you guys really go through the hype machine. So talk a little bit about that. And then secondarily, I've never seen a group of people work the outside of their booth so strategically. So talk about those two things, right? Like why, why, why yeah. hyping is important and why not being allowed to stand physically inside your own booth is important too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me talk about free, free space. First of all. So we have always pushed the limits. I mean, we've been shut down multiple times at trade shows for violating like fire codes and blocking, you know, aisles and whatnot. And that's a good thing because it means your booth is freaking slamming. Right. So we always like for booths have always done like corners or aisle spans or whatever, where we can, you know, spend as little as possible for actual booth costs, but maximize the space around us to our advantage. So, you know, a couple of years ago in Vegas, we had our booth built where it was actually up to the edge in the aisle. And instead of having people stand inside our booth to make it look more dead, we had um, people actually crowding the aisle and blocking the aisle so people in like wheelchairs couldn't get by, right? So the fire marshal <laughs> came, shut us down and said like, you physically have to move your booth back. And we're like, look, here's the actual like exhibitor manual. Nothing in this exhibitor manual says what we are doing is illegal and we are not going to move our booth back. We strategically built the booth this way and we want the aisle to be packed. And if you have a problem with traffic on the aisle, make your aisle bigger. 
Right. And the guy like looked at the exhibitor manual, like looked at me. I'm like, you can't bullshit a bullshitter, man. Like you're not going to make us change the way this is done. And we didn't move the booth and our booth was slammed the whole time. And we crowded the whole aisle and it was intentional. So we've always like, you know, utilized the space around us to our advantage. And I recommend people look at exhibitor service manuals and figure out what to do. You know, instead of doing a hanging sign one year, hanging signs at trade shows are ridiculous. Like, I mean, it's a good advertising medium, but if you think about the cost associated with it, usually you have to pay the show, right. To be allowed, first of all, to hang the, the sign, then you have to pay Freeman or the exhibiting company, you know, money to actually hang the sign. Then you have to buy the sign. So, I mean, just like rough costs on what that looks like for a big booth is somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20,000 bucks for, wow. you know, a piece of fabric hanging in the air. Yeah. So a lot of times you can look at the exhibitor service manual and say like, Hey, the air above us is actually, we own that air, right. From like a floor layout perspective and we can build up to 16 feet high. So we said, instead of hanging a sign, let's just make our wall 16 feet like a big FU to everyone behind us and block <laughs> the whole line of sight for this thing. And, you know, we did it. They came out there with a tape measure. They measured as long as we weren't higher than 16. It was fair game. And we didn't have to spend money on getting a hang sign for it. So get creative. Look at the exhibit service manual. If you like the show and you want to be invited back to the show, play by their rules. But make sure you've got an answer for every question that's going to be asked. And then hyping up your staff. We try to make sure, like, our staff at our shows and when they engage with customers are super excited about the product. So we do, like, solid training for like new product launches beforehand. So our staff isn't just learning it on the fly. So when they're actually at the show, they are like seasoned on everything that we're launching. They know all the talking points that they need to, you know, talk to a potential customer about. And when they're at the show, they're just stoked to be there. Right. We, we would rather like spend money and have our staff stay in like nicer hotels and like be more relaxed and like have a good time at the booth and, you know, take them out to like nice dinners or whatever. Cause we want them as engaged and jazz as possible at the actual show. And that shows to customers and gets more customers excited about buying products. And we hype them up, you know, we have like the hot, like the, you know, hurrah moment before the show opens. We get like the team meeting, team pictures, everyone wears like ridiculous clothes like the it's good. Like that's what you want for your staff. You want them to be happy to be there and they have to like earn their way to the show. We don't just don't take our staff every year. We take the people who perform the best and do the best job at actual show. If someone's a dud, we don't bring them back the next year. We want the best and brightest team there on the show floor reflecting our brand to our customers. Oh my God. And dude, you, for those of us who are regular attendees at the show, there is this, uh, undercurrent of discussion that goes on amongst and between attendees about, Hey, did you see XYZ booth and what's yeah. going on over there? And like you guys consistently and routinely are in those discussions and, you know, you guys, new mo's, you know, we've got, we've got some people yeah. who are really, really uh, focused on making a memorable experience. And if you think about, I, I think of it, like I'll, I'll go back to the whole pit crew analogy. Like you, you got your team, they earned their way there. You just announced a whole new set of products that are awesome because yeah. Orange Audio products are awesome. Most of, you know, most of the time, everyone's stoked to see what you guys are releasing for new products. So those people at the show earned their way there to excitedly tell the people they only get to talk to you in email or on the telephone in person right. about how awesome the new stuff is. And oh, by the way, my pit crew pushes the envelope to the very, very edge of what we can get away with. And isn't that exciting? 
So, <laughs> right? I mean, if, if, if it were me, it doesn't, because nothing for nothing for those, again, for those of you that are listening that are not from the promotional products industry, the first quarter of our year is misery when it comes to being on the road. For right. Shows. And so if your employees feel like, oh, this is just yet another in the litany of shows that I'm about to attend over the next three months, that energy is going to transfer to the people that are coming up to see you. And if they're not excited, then your customers aren't going to be excited. And it's really, really important to have that energy level be where it needs to be. Because again, you've made a significant investment, even if you didn't buy a $15,000 hanging sign, to be able to be there to get the leads that you are intending to want to have as a return on your investment. And if you're not stoked to be there, then you are missing out for sure. Um, so yeah, and we look at it as like, look at it as like the NFL playoff analogy, like divisional games. Yeah. You play them like it's great, but you can't move on to the next round until you win your divisional game and the AFC championship. And like Vegas for us, PPI is like, it's that's the super bowl. So if you're not stoked and, hyped to be in the Super Bowl, you shouldn't have even like won the divisional games to get there, right? So it's your opportunity to shine on the national like stage in front of millions of people watching on TV. Like don't fumble the ball in the one yard line, right? So we kind of treat it that way. I mean, uh, I think people need to look at it in a different light, you know? Even within the in-booth strategy, if you don't have someone kind of keeping a temperature on the group dynamic, then that's a miss too, because let's face it, those shows are long. And right. especially if you don't have the luxury of having a lot of staff, it, it can be a, a tax to try to keep your energy up during the entirety of however long you need to be there. But it's so imperative that you maintain your energy right up until the very end. And, you know, it's just a sin to watch when you walk by a booth and see people sitting down in the back of the booth with their phone in their hands. It's just, you know, you might as well take a blowtorch to a pile of money. I was at nine shows between January 1st and like Valentine's day this year. I was on the road pretty much for six weeks, you know, three shows we exhibited at the rest was all just like scouting and seeing what's going on. But, um, so many booths you see like, dude, like this is ridiculous. And I go to a lot of shows in Asia. I go to Asia all the time. Uh, obviously not now with this coronavirus, but, um, you see so many like Asian suppliers and this is typical at shows in Hong Kong and, Frankfurt and everywhere where people are like literally taking naps in their booth because like, that's common. Like if you go to a factory, you like most people, like there's an hour lunch break and most people take naps at their, um, at their desks and most like factories in Asia. Right. But you see that same aspect of people like taking a nap literally with their head down on a table in their booth. And I'm just like, why the hell would you even send someone here to do that when you could have just not, you know, bit the bullet and they could have been napping at their desk. And it's like, it's ridiculous how that happens. Like don't have your culture that is, you know, the norm in your office translate into your booth experience. I think that's the message I'm trying to make here. And don't take a nap in your booth. Totally. And, and if you don't believe that you have the skill set to man a booth within your employee base, then don't bring them. Just don't bring them. Right. Because you're going to do more damage to the brand than if you just don't even participate by bringing people who are not up to the task. Yeah. There's a reason like trade show models and trade show booth or like trade show staffing companies exist. Cause that's all 
these guys do. They're actors, right? Like if you want someone to be super stoked and hyped and you don't have anyone on your staff to do that, hire someone from like a trade show company, right. To do it. And like, that's all they do. And they're actors for a reason. So, well, and if you think of it that way, so, you know, let's just imagine for a moment that I'm getting ready to attend an event. I recognize, Oh my God, Roger and Jason have completely hit the nail on the head. I don't have a plan. I don't have anybody who's even really excited to go do this event. <laughs> You're going to have to go hire someone and train them on what it is that you would want them to say. Right. So why wouldn't you just do that with your staff anyway? Right? Like at least start from the perspective of let's practice around what it is that we would do at the event if we were going to participate so that we've had some opportunity to know, yeah, we probably should sound a little different than we do in the office. And what is it that we want that to sound like? And who's going to be responsible for saying what? And then the other piece I wanted to ask you, Jason, is, you know, uh, the economy is good. So trade show traffic has been pretty steady for the most part this year. When the booth is super busy, how do you guys handle trying to touch everybody who's trying to see you when you've created a great booth experience, you're mobbed, and you're trying to capture as many of the leads as possible based on what you've been able to create from a buzz perspective? Super difficult. So um, for us, this is a product-based company. It's almost, it's impossible. It's impossible to engage with everyone, right? We, we try to do like, kind of like demo presentations where it's like, you know, instead of having individual conversations with customers, I'm, I think king of this where I'll grab in like a couple different distributors and be like, look guys, I like, I don't want to do this four times your competitors, but can you just like stand by each other? So I don't have to lose my voice four times over go. the course of this day. So I'll, I'll group distributors together and kind of do like a group demo. And our sales team, I think does that. And people are like, I mean, in our industry, people are pretty friendly anyways. Like there's not a lot of competitive nature, even though there is, but it's not like true competitors where you're not going to, you know, Roger's not going to stand next to like Danny Rosen. Right. And sure. talk about stuff. So, um, so we try to do that a lot where we group people together, which is better. And then when you build a group, you see people like just attract like flies to the group or so more people jump in and get on like, you know, the 115 demo tour or whatever. And that works really well. Um, we also do a pretty good job of like putting all the information about the product on like a placard right next to it. So if one of our staff can actually like engage or talk with the person, at least like a booth goer could go and snap a picture and like, you know, after they leave, they at least know like where it came from, what the, specs on it were what the price was and like you know what the model number was of the product so um we do that and also we try to have like off the show touch points too whether it's um you know like an email recap after the show of like hey like if you were in the booth today it was crazy but here's like a couple things you might not have seen that were like hidden in the corner we try to like have additional touch points outside the trade show floor uh with customers just based on the like mob of the booth as well too and no better. I don't way. even know if I answered your question, but uh, no, no, that's exactly right. No, you. And, and for, if 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 you've worked a show and you have someone directly in front of you that's talking, it's interesting to watch the different strategies that people will take when perhaps another opportunity or lead is walking by that maybe you really wanted to have a conversation with, and you feel like you're missing out on yeah. that opportunity. And how do you nimbly and gracefully? manage the process of trying to capture that person without losing the attention of the person who's standing directly in front of you without seeming rude. It's such an interesting balance to try to accomplish. It's weird. And, then this, yeah. and then the second piece of it, and I think, you know, you touched on it. Uh, that's really important is you've got to build 
multiple ways to communicate with people who are uh, interacting with your brand, be it in a passive way. So give them something to read, like you said, or an active way where it's perhaps one of our better promotional products that is some kind of something that I want you to take along with you that has a way for me to then interact with you later so that I, I have a way to still capture that conversion down the road. Uh, you know, people will yeah. do scans. Scans are, you know, we can have a, a debate about the value of whether or not you really want to scan someone's badge or get a business card. There's just, there's so many different yeah. ways in order to try to make sure that you establish those connections. And what I, what I would say for most people getting started is just think about the ways you want to try to do that and make sure that you've got a plan for each of them so that you don't find yourself in those moments where you're bummed out that you missed out on talking to a particular contact because you just didn't have a strategy to give yourself a chance. One year, I think it was two years ago, we treated it as almost like a retail shopping experience for customers where like they would come to our like check-in counter and like grab someone to do the demo and like that person would have a clipboard and say, okay, like what do you want samples of? What can, what do you want to buy? And it's like, they kind of walk through and say, okay, send me two of these, three of these, I'll take four of these. And it's almost like a checkout experience. And I mean, we've swiped credit cards at shows like ah. just our, our brand's a little different than some of the companies that could be listening, you know, but um, it, that worked really, really well where you put it on the customer and say, like, what do you want to see? What do you what are you looking for? How can we like service you? And like, what do you want to leave here with? Right. Um, and it, it worked really, really well for us. I've seen other booths, too. Like I thought it was genius where you go into a booth and there's like almost a scanner like just in a retail environment and the customer walks around with the handheld scanner and scans the product that they uh, want information about or wants samples of. And it was pretty clever. I, I've done it a couple times and like large booths where you don't have to have as much staff as long as there's good information or demo videos on iPads playing about the product. Like you don't need an optimal about an optimal amount of staff to do that. Or you can set up like a simple scan system or, you know, develop or download or encourage your customers to download an app to get more information about your specific products or QR code, whatever. But these are ways to do it if you're understaffed as well, too. Nice. Yeah, that using some technology and QR, right? You don't have to. Everyone, yeah. everyone on having their smartphone has a QR reader, so you're not having to yep. uh, invest in additional technology. Yeah, that's that's a good point. When you're resource constrained, there are ways to be able to still accomplish the task. If again, if you've given yourself ample time to do the research and know exactly how you right. want to employ those tools in your overall strategy, which kind of brings me to the last part, Jay. So um, if there is one cardinal sin that I think is universal amongst people who spend the money to go to a trade show is I went, I had a bunch of interactions, I got back to the office and then I didn't do a damn thing with any of the information <laughs> yeah. I created. So talk about, how you guys handle the the post show part of the process to make sure that that doesn't happen to you. We even during really busy shows, we will have that post show touch point even happen the night of um, the engagement at the show. So if we're doing like lead sheets or whatever, we will have one of our marketing team or whatever, scan all that back, send it into like home office and have the home office start processing the stuff real time um, at night while people are sleeping. So when they wake up in the morning, they see like, okay, here's like the order you placed yesterday at the show. Like it's ready to ship. Here's your tracking. And we just look like rock stars. So I think speed of getting the touch point or the, the first point of contact done after the show is crucial and not sitting on leads. Um, for generic leads have like a targeted either drip campaign or email marketing strategy put in place, you know, say like, 
okay, we're going to get all these leads at the trade show. Like, how are we going to convert these into the sales? How are we going to engage with customers over a period of like four months? Because the biggest mistake I think you see happening at trade shows is a lot of people go to the show, right? It's four days. And like the next week you get an email from a company. You're like, I don't even remember who that really was. Right. Right. We would do like personalized subject lines and be like, Hey, like Roger, like, like we talked about hockey. So it was like, Roger loves hockey is the subject line. Or I've had customers I've met at trade shows. Um, Roger Wasson, who's one of our customers in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. And I was like, Roger. Cool guy. the first, the first time I, the first time I met him, I was like, dude, you're like me. You're no BS person our subject line of our email chain forever is going to be sell my shit jackass. So literally like five years later now, when we email back and forth with each other, the subject line still says sell my shit jackass. And like, that was our thing. So we like set precedent before and like we built a relationship because of it. Right. So I think figure out a like specific touch point for like a hot lead, right? Like find, ask them personal questions, take notes on a couple of like key aspects of them. And they've got a, you know, a son that plays hockey or whatever. Like, you're asking like how the hockey game went this past weekend or whatever. So I just try to think like the more personal and like level to level you can make a potential lead, the easier you're going to have converting them to a potential customer or sale in the end. Totally. So if you think about it, so for, if we're wrapping up kind of, if you think about it, so you've got to plan well in advance because really what you're trying to attempt to do is to create a memorable experience for your potential booth attendee you're going to push the envelope of what is acceptable business practice based on what you're able to learn by researching. You're going to educate your team so that they are stoked and ready to go share all of the awesomeness that is your company with the potential clients that are going to come visit them. And then you are going to create a sense of immediacy with them that basically says, if I created a memorable experience for you today, I am going to make it so that by tonight, you will not have forgotten that that happened. And all of those and, things yeah. in, in conjunction with one another are really like, think about uh, uh, we are a binge generation. So if you are not going to follow through on the memorable experience you created for me, the likelihood I'm going to remember you is almost nil. So right if you don't have the opportunity to speed to contact for touch point number two and three, which is really what you're saying, right? Is I I have that part of the messaging campaign is already built and we've already worked through a process to convert that which we create in the booth through that immediacy filter and we are rocking and rolling from our six, right? So I think all of those things uh, in conjunction with one another really are the basis of a winning strategy. But as we wrap it up here, dude, I want to ask you one, like if somebody is inspired and they're like, Oh my God, I've been doing this all wrong. And I really want to change the way I do it. Where would you suggest what's the first most important thing they could do to get started on changing? Order TVs from QVC. <laughs> there you go. Um, there you I'm, go. Right? <laughs> I, the biggest thing is have a plan right in place months in advance have contingency plans for what's going to, because something will go wrong. Something always goes wrong. Like the people who don't plan for the things that go wrong are the ones that are caught, you know, with problems on their hands. So have a backup plan for what's going to happen, right? Like the, the couch doesn't make it. What do we do? Right? Like here's where we're going to get our chairs rentals, or we're going to go to home Depot or whatever, build chairs out of wood, whatever it is, have your backup plans in place and hype up and trust your team to make the best decisions possible. Even if 
you know, you're not there at the show. If something happens, if you have to go to, you know, if you get quarantined in your house for coronavirus and you can't <laughs> go, like, make sure that your chain of command is well informed and can execute your vision for you. But my biggest thing, to plan in advance, don't do it the night before because it's going to be reflected in your booth. You got it, man. There's no worse feeling than being a, a attendee or a distributor or a, a exhibitor at a, a conference or a trade show and seeing a booth that someone just didn't even get there. The booth is empty. It's just such a tragedy. Yeah. So, so yeah. just, yeah. And, and you and I both, I mean, I don't know that I've ever been to a show where there wasn't at least one where the people didn't get there. So I look at those as booth opportunities to be a pirate and just go and invade that land and make another booth for your own company because they're not making it and it's across the world away from you. It's now your booth. <laughs> there you go. We'll just leave it at that. Be pirates. Take over the uh, Weaker yeah. Sisters territory and you will be successful at your trade show. Jason, thanks yeah. so much for coming in, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. I know it's a little bit of an odd topic considering the fact that we are in the midst of a global pandemic and we're not even certain if there's going to be trade shows and conferences and things like that in the future. But for those of us who are thinking about what getting back to the business of doing business might be like, it's really strategic information in there from one of the best trade show purveyors in my industry that I know out there. So I hope you got some nuggets of information in there that would be helpful. There's some really interesting booth hack ideas that he gave uh, about pushing all the way out to the edge of your assigned space and knowing the ins and outs of the trade show um, manual so that you know what you can and cannot get away with. I hope you really enjoyed that. We're gonna continue to bring high quality guests in to talk about topics that are relevant to all of you. So please share it around, let people know about the series, like it, talk about it, comment on it, put it on your own social media, and let's make sure that we continue to bring the high quality guests that you've grown accustomed to. And I look forward to talking to you next time.